Father, uh, we come this morning expecting to hear from you. And I do pray, God, that as we do open up your word and as we look at this section, uh, a scripture that I think oftentimes we just kind of we just kind of pass over really quickly to get to the resurrection. I pray that what we read today would impact our lives as we watch and observe how your death on the cross that day impacted people directly and immediately. I pray it would have that same uh, impact on us. And God, that we could leave here encouraged in our faith, strengthened, God, in our, in our uh, resolve to serve you and to know you. So I do pray you would bless this time, you'd be glorified in it, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, as we look at this, this is a section oftentimes, and maybe if you're really honest, when you read the Gospels, you get to this area and you kind of go, I'm going to get to the resurrection. I don't really care about this. And we kind of blow through it. Yet, there's some profound things that happened immediately upon the death of Jesus or right after that I think we need to pay attention to. Part of that is God's providence in working his plan. And you know, I believe, listen, I believe even as believers, we have an easier time accepting miraculous things from God and watching him do the miraculous. But the everyday working in our life, the providence, we kind of ignore that, and we don't pay attention to that. So I want to challenge us today to think about that in our own lives. That You know what? The same God that was there that day with those soldiers and with, uh, with Joseph and Nicodemus is the same God that's with us today, and we need to know that. And we need to hang on to that. So we're going to do a little bit of drama as we go through this so we can kind of get involved. If you remember, we left off. Jesus has just died on the cross. He yelled out, it is finished. It's done. And then the next thing we read, check this out in verse 54. So when the centurion and those who were with or who were guarding Jesus, who were with him, who were guarding Jesus, saw the earthquake and the things that had happened, and they feared greatly, saying, truly, this was the Son of God. Now, I think this, listen, if we kind of just try and get into this, this is radical of what's going on. Jesus has just died on the cross. These guys, a centurion, a centurion, you know, obviously the name kind of implies, would have been over 100 people. Today in the military, probably a company commander is what we think of, maybe a captain or, or a major or something in that way. But, uh, you know, here's this guy. He's a hardened soldier. He's, he's into soldiering, and that's what he does. Now, something I find fascinating on a side note, and check this out for homework, like Google, you know, get a Bible program and kind of check out centurion. And notice something, every time a centurion is mentioned in scripture, it's always in a positive light. They're always doing something good. That's interesting. That just so intrigues me about, about the whole, you know, military of Rome at that time and how God was working in their lives. But now back to this guy. Here's this guy. I believe him and his crew I believe they've been with Jesus throughout this ordeal. I think they were there at the trials, listening to the bogus uh, uh, charges brought against him, knowing that he was innocent. I believe, hey, I believe some of these guys punched him. 
They were the ones there when Jesus was punched, remember? When the soldiers punched him, mocked him, made fun of him. I believe it was these guys. And they're there, and then I believe it's these guys that nailed him to the cross. And all of that going on, listen, that's who they were. And they weren't there because they wanted to be there. They were there because they're soldiers, and that's what they were supposed to do. And they show up that day, and they do their duty. And they nail this guy to the cross. I personally think, this is opinion, I think they thought he was some kind of weirdo. They knew he was innocent. Pilate said he was innocent. They saw the trials. And here's what I think they're thinking. This dude is no way close to being any kind of king because no one's following him. And he won't say anything. He's just a little odd. And maybe that was in their hearts. You know, they're thinking that way. And then... They're standing there. They just gambled for his clothes. That's how callous they are. They just sat down to watch him. And I believe, listen, as they sat down, it got dark. Remember, darkness came. Let's check out darkness. Let's do this. This is, a, this is just going to be for a minute because we'll get sued if it's very long. But I want you to get in the dark for a moment. That's what they were in. Can you imagine standing there that day and all of a sudden that kind of darkness comes? A little bit freaky. Now I know everybody who's using devices. I can see you're glowing. <laughs> all right, let's turn the lights back on or we'll get sued by somebody. So, hey, just so, so can you imagine that darkness falling like that and then the ground shook? Hmm. Hmm. And that, listen, that got their attention. That got a hold of their hearts. And I'm amazed, listen, I'm amazed. This is, it says what? Here, here in, uh, in Matthew, it says, listen, they're guarding him and they saw the earthquake and the things that happened and they feared greatly. You know that word in the original language is they were scared out of their wits. These are, now get a, get a hold of this. These are hardened soldiers. They're so hardened, they don't have a problem nailing someone to a cross. They don't have a problem watching him die. That's how callous they were. And now, they're scared out of their mind? Wow. I think they're poking each other. I don't believe what just happened. Like, we need to get out of here. Like, we thought this was just some kind of weirdo. But man. And then Luke tells us in Luke chapter 23, I know a lot of you have done your homework. In Luke chapter 23, <laughs> in Luke chapter 23, Luke tells us that they feared, and then it says they glorified or praised God. Wow. All of a sudden, these guys go from callous, hardened, unbelieving soldiers, and they start praising God, and then they said, truly, this is the Son of God. Now, listen, there's some debate. It always cracks me up. When you get to a scene like this, like I get to this in Scripture, and I start rejoicing, and I'm happy, and then, and then the scholars come along and go, well, you know, maybe they weren't really saved. I believe we're going to see these guys in heaven. And they go, well, you know, what they really said in the original language, the way it's written, they didn't say truly this, is, this was the Son of God. They said, they said this, truly this was a Son of God or Son of God. Because the definite article is not there in the original language. Well, they're right about that. It's not. 
And so they draw the conclusion that they weren't saying he's the son of God. They were just kind of proclaiming maybe son of gods or, or kind of something generic. Well, number one, they praised and glor- you know, glorified God. That tells me something right there. Not God's God. And then, check this out. The Jews, when they were accusing Jesus, and what did they accuse Jesus of? Claiming to be the son of God. They use that same exact phrase without the definite article. When Gabriel showed up to tell Mary that she was gonna have this child, and he said he will be the son of God. Same exact phrase without the definite article. So we know what's going on. Listen, sometimes, sometimes much learning is dangerous. And hey, these guys, these guys, I believe, man, listen, man, they say that, and hey, it is an intense moment for that centurion and his guys. And they're like, they're at the foot of the cross now, and they're worshiping. I don't care what the scholars say. I don't care what other people say. They're worshiping, and then, and then the camera pulls back, right? You got the camera scene in on them, and then it comes back. And check out, check out who's there. It says, verse uh, 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 55, and many women who followed Jesus from Galilee ministering to him were there looking on from afar. Do you pick up who, who shows up? Not the big guys, not the apostles. Who shows up? The ladies. And they're, listen, they're, 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 they're doing what they're doing from afar. Why were they doing it from afar? I don't think it was, I don't think they were afraid. I don't think they were scared of what was gonna happen. I don't think they were even scared of being found out. I think they were doing it because of grief. I think they could not believe what was happening to this one. Hey, these are the ladies. Check out for homework. Read the book of Luke. Luke names all the ladies. Have you ever noticed how Luke's all about the women who ministered to Jesus? He is. I think he learned from them. And he lists them over and over. And these are the ones who have been with Jesus forever. And all of a sudden, this guy that they put all of their hope, all of their trust, everything in, is hanging on a cross. He's a criminal. And so they're back away because I think just because of sheer grief and maybe unbelief, not unbelief of Jesus, but unbelief of what is going down. You ever get in those moments that they're so surreal, you're thinking this really can't be happening. And that's where they're at. And, 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 then, and then here Matthew even names three of them. It's interesting. He says many women. And then he says in verse 56, among whom were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph. That's James the other apostle, not, not James uh, uh, John's brother. And the mother of Zebedee's sons. Hey, it's interesting who he picks out to name, right? Mary Magdalene, most of us know about Mary and, you know, whatever. She, we know she had seven demons. We know that, that, you know, she was from Magdala. I believe she had a hard life. I believe Mary had a really hard life. And she found Jesus and, and got saved, and she was never the same. And then you have this, this uh, Mary, common name, right? Like, have you ever kept track how many Marys there are involved just in Jesus' life? Like 524, 
I mean, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> but everybody, everybody's named Mary, right? Every time you read, and now they have to define them. And so now you have Mary, the, and I believe it's Luke says she's Mary, uh, the wife of Alphaeus. And, and this is James, the son of Alphaeus, who was, who was one of the apostles. And then, and then it's interesting how he says, hey, you have this single lady. I don't think there's a lot to it, but it is interesting. You have a single lady, you have a mom, and then you have a wife, the mother Salome of Zebedee's son. And, and just listening that way. But listen, man, those people who say Christianity and the Bible demeans women have never read their Bible. The Bible exalts womanhood. And I'm gonna say it that way because I think it's important because we're losing that in our world. The Bible highly exalts womanhood. And we need to understand that. And that's exactly, I think, what Matthew is doing. And I believe he's introducing these ladies so we'll know who they are later on in the next chapter. He's not thinking the next chapter, but he's starting to introduce them. So now we have that going on. And, and listen, man, that is happening at the foot of the cross. Now, listen, now we gotta pan back a little bit and check out this guy. This is, to me, the mind blower. Verse 57, now when evening had come, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who himself had also become a disciple of Jesus. So, hey, we have this guy showing up who's now also a disciple of Jesus. Luke tells us he was part of the Sanhedrin. It's huge. Now, I think it's John tells us he's got a partner. Do you remember who his partner is? Nick at night, right? Remember Nicodemus who came at night? And he's now with Joseph. So these two guys go, and I want us to think about this for a moment because, you know, some people go, well, these guys weren't very, you know, they weren't very good believers because they were kind of undercover Christians. And they begin to judge him, especially Nick, because he came at night and did things. And obviously, they stayed part of the Sanhedrin up to the end. I don't think, listen, I'm not saying they agreed with what the Sanhedrin was doing to Jesus, but they were part of that council. And now, listen, now, in the heat of the battle, in the heat of the moment, who shows up? The undercover Christians. And I'm using that kind of, you know, sarcastically. They weren't undercover undercover Christians. Saints, we need to be careful about judging people. And we need to be careful about judging what they do or don't do for the Lord. And we need to not be, listen, last time I checked, none of you were the Holy Spirit. And we need to be careful on how we look at others and their service for the Lord. I am sure in many, many fellowships, these two would have been looked down on until now. And here's what blows my mind. Who shows up? Who shows up at the end? Joseph and Nicodemus. Who's not there? The big boys, right? Where's the guys, where's the guy who walked on water? Pete. Where's the people who raised the dead, healed the sick? They saw everything, where are they? I'll tell you where they're at, they're hiding. And then along comes Joseph, man. This guy blows my mind and people go, well, you know, it didn't cost him anything. It cost him everything. I guarantee you from this moment on, Joseph is no longer part of the Sanhedrin. 
From this moment on, probably some of his family abandons him and wants nothing to do with him. His social life just crashed. His Facebook followers, <laughs> nothing. Hey, and it cost him a tomb. Well, I guess for three days, so it wasn't a big thing, but. This is intense, what this guy did. You gotta love Joseph. And you know what's crazy is this is all we know of him. He's a guy from Arimathea, and he was rich, and he had a tomb. Now, something else that sort of blows my mind is the providence of God working through this situation. Oh, I think his providence is kind of evident with the, with the, the, the centurion and stuff, but check this out. Jesus had to be buried to prove he was dead. Had to be. And who shows up to do it? Joseph. Do you think Joseph was reading scriptures and go, man, I gotta do this. No one else is stepping up. No, he's just doing it. He's just, check this out, saints. He's just doing life. And he's doing life the best he can and he shows up, and according to Isaiah, according to Isaiah 53, the prophecy was that Jesus had to be buried among the rich. Do you think Joseph was reading that and go, whoa, I gotta do, no, God is just using him. Listen, I call this God supernaturally, naturally working through people's lives. And here this guy shows up, and, and I don't know about you guys, but I love the idea, man. He shows up, and he's ready to do something because his heart's in it, not because he read something, not because somebody said something, not because somebody showed him something, because his heart is in it. And now, listen, now he's ready to do it. And, and hey, at just the right time. And again, I think we have a lot easier time accepting the supernatural work of God than we do the, what I call the supernatural, natural work of God. Remember, remember Paul's, I think it was his nephew, right? Remember when Paul was in prison in the book of Acts? And they were gonna kill him. Remember the Jews got together and they go, we're not gonna eat till we kill this guy. They ate. They didn't kill Jesus, or Paul. But remember they made that pact? And you remember who was hanging out? I always in my mind think it's a kid. I don't know how old he was, but he was young. This guy's hanging out, this kid hanging out. He hears him. He goes and tells the, the, the uh, uh, prison people. He goes and tells uh, uh, whoever, I think Felix or whoever. And what do they do? They guard Paul and make sure he can get to Caesarea, why? Because that kid overheard something. Was that a mistake? Was that a coincidence? No, that's the providence of God. And you know what? I believe the providence of God works in our life a whole lot more than any of us ever even recognize or realize or even pay attention to. And he's busy, listen, God is busy about our lives because he loves us. There was a time, it's about 16 years ago, 15, 16 years ago, and I got a kidney stone. Actually, I was at someone's wedding. I wasn't doing a wedding, I was at someone's wedding. Got a kidney stone, went to the hospital Saturday morning, and they said, well, we're gonna have to do surgery, we gotta get that out of there. And so they did surgery, and this old, Sunday morning, this old coot of a doctor, I can say that because he's a friend now, he walks in, he walks in, and he was the gruffest, gruffest, honoriest 
doctor that, you know, it was just some, it was for me the luck of the draw, right? So I get that guy, uh, just Henri Okut, and I'm reading my Bible in a devotional, and he walks in, he goes, what are you doing? I said, I'm reading my Bible in a devotional. What are you reading? So I start sharing with him things, and he goes, why are you reading your Bible? I said, well, because I want to read my Bible, and I'm a pastor, and so if you're a pastor, then I need to get you out of here now. And I said, no, church is taken care of, you just... You know, cool your jets, back up a little bit. You know, it's about nine o'clock. That's not going to work well. But then he began to ask me more and more about what I was reading. And then all of a sudden, he takes my devotional and my Bible reading schedule. Can I have these? And I go, yeah, but you can't have my Bible. No, I didn't say that, but hey, you know what, man? That guy was backslidden, and he came back to the Lord through that. And God, you know, God brought him back. He started, after that, he started doing ministry work in Mexico with, with uh, medical stuff and stuff. And, and he, he passed away a few years ago, but went home to be with the Lord. But man, what an incredible, so I'm thinking that's good, right? The providence of God, okay, you know, I'll do a kidney stone for that. Well, then after that, I had three more surgeries on my bladder. I had four surgeries on my bladder within 18 months. And I was dealing with stuff, and, and I gotta tell you guys something. I was pretty frustrated at God. I'm thinking, why don't you fix this? Like, I'm having to deal with this, this is not fun, and I'm not having a good time. And in my mind, here's what I'm thinking. It's an easy fix for you. Like, I'm not asking you to, you know, I'm not asking you to do something huge. Just take your little finger, fix some stuff, come on. I used to have those conversations with God, and, and man, I'll tell you what, I got to the point, I was kind of at my wit's end. I was done, not done with life, but I was done. And not done with God, I was just done. You know what I mean? You're just like, oh. And this guy moved from Calvary Chapel, he was living in Silver City, New Mexico, a urologist, moved from Silver City to Sierra Vista. Got involved in the church, and eventually I started telling him a problem I was having, and he goes, well, let me see what I can do. And I said, you know what, man, I've already been through three surgeries. I'm not into that. And he goes, I can fix you. I go, okay. And I did that surgery, and, and he did pretty good. I haven't had another one since then, so that's good. <laughs> but you know what? Six months later, he left town. Things didn't work the way they were supposed to work here. And I remember when Jay was his name, I remember when Jay was leaving, here's what he told me. He goes, I have no idea why I came to Sierra Vista. He goes, that was the dumbest thing I've ever done. Move from Silver City to Sierra Vista to go to Wisconsin or Minnesota. And I said, oh, I know why you came to Sierra Vista. I know exactly why you came to Sierra Vista because God was hearing my prayer. I was looking for something supernatural. God brought something natural. Saints. Hey, he works that way. That's how he works in our lives, and we need to understand that. And you know, I could tell Jay that, and it made it a little bit easier on his pocketbook because it costs a lot to move, right? And he goes, well, that makes it a little bit better. And I go, hey, it's all about me. Maybe he came for other people, <laughs> but it's definitely about me, so we did that, right? So, hey, this is Joseph doing that same thing, man. He shows up, and listen, man, he comes, 
And he tells 58, he says, this man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate commanded the body be given to him. Now we know, listen, the backstory of that, how they broke their legs, but they didn't break Jesus' legs because his legs weren't supposed to be broken. But here's this guy, you need to know something. If Joseph doesn't show up, Jesus is going to have two outcomes. He's either gonna stay on the cross and be eaten by vultures and animals, or they're gonna throw him in a trash heap. They're gonna throw him in a dump. He was a criminal. And what they did with criminals, say, hey, if they took him off the cross, they just threw him kind of, if you will, on the garbage dump. Back in the day, some of us remember garbage dumps, right? You go in there all smoky and nasty and dirty. Hey, that's what they had. That's, that was his, that was where he was gonna end up if nobody claimed the body. And along comes Joseph and he goes, I want him. And I'm sure, listen, I'm sure Nicodemus is going, okay, let's do this. It's gonna be intense, but let's do this. And then check this out. They get the body, verse 59, and when they had taken the body, he wrapped it in clean linen, laid it in his new tomb, which he has hewn out, hewn out of the rock, and rolled a large stone across the door of the tomb and departed. Something you might underline or take note of is he wrapped the body in linen. You know what that tells me? Joseph wasn't expecting a resurrection. He wasn't thinking about resurrection. Nicodemus wasn't thinking about resurrection. Oh, remember when Nicodemus was with Jesus? Do you remember what Jesus said to Nicodemus? After their long conversation, a lot of us know, you know, back and forth, back and forth. But remember what Jesus, Jesus kind of ended it all with this. Hey, Nick, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to me. Jesus wasn't talking about us exalting him in praise. What was Jesus talking about? Hey, Nick, if I'm on the cross, if I get lifted up on a cross, I'm gonna draw all men to me. Who shows up at the cross? Nick, I love that. I love that, man. He hid that in his heart all those, you know, couple years, and then he shows up at the cross, and now they're not expecting, they're not believing in a resurrection. Nobody right now is believing in a resurrection. They get him ready for burial, for permanent burial. Hey, if they were expecting the resurrection, they would have just like stuck him in there and said, hey, it's okay. He's gonna be out day after tomorrow. We don't have to worry about this. But they wrapped him because they're not believing it and they put him in there and then they put the large stone, right? The large stone was not to keep Jesus in. It was to keep animals out. So keep that in mind. But it's a large stone. They rolled it on there and hey, the providence of God. Now you have more eyewitnesses to the resurrection and where he was buried. And then it tells us, I love this, verse 61, who's hanging out there? Then, and Mary Magdalene was there and the other Mary sitting opposite the tomb. Man, they're watching this whole thing. And those two ladies had to have loved him, huh? They're watching this whole thing and in their minds they're going, as most women would about what men do, they didn't do a very good job. We need to come back day after tomorrow. We gotta take care of this because they were kind of sloppy. Hey, they come back to finish the job, right? Isn't that what they went back for? Think about that, ladies. So they're watching, they're observing, and then the providence of God gets even a little more intense. Check this out. Verse 62, 
on the next day which followed the day of preparation. What's the next day after the day of preparation? Passover. The Sabbath. You prepare for the Sabbath and you have the Sabbath. Now, here's what's kind of freaky. When these guys were trying to kill Jesus on the day of preparation, they were very careful about not getting defiled. They were very careful about not doing anything. Oh, by the way, Nicodemus and Joseph, no Passover. That was one more thing it cost them. They're not gonna celebrate that with their families. And now these guys, listen, these are the guys, they're meticulous about everything. And now on the, on the Passover, on Sabbath, on Shabbat, they show up and check out where they're at. It says, on the day which followed the preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered together to Pilate. They're gonna go see Pilate. It's like, really? Now here's what we know, and there's a big debate. Did they go in to see Pilate? Or did Pilate come out like he did on the preparation day? I, I don't know. The Bible doesn't say. I'm kind of thinking he came out. I don't think they would have done that. I don't think they would have gone in. Some people said, oh, it was early in the morning. They figured no one would see him and do it. And I, I'm not so sure they were that, that uh, careless. But nonetheless, they're going to see Pilate. And here's what they said. Look at verse 63. Saying, sir. It's kind of interesting. They call him sir, right? We remember while he was still alive, how this deceiver said, after three days, I will rise. Now, listen, this sort of blows my mind. Here's these guys. They're the guys that are against Jesus. They don't like him, right? But here's what they're doing. He said he was going to raise from the dead. None of the disciples said that. None of the people believing him said that. Not even the ladies who are diligent and doing what they're doing. None of, none of them believed he was going to raise from the dead. The enemies, like we're really worried this guy's gonna raise from the dead or they're gonna steal his body because we know what he said. When did Jesus say that? Here's what's interesting. In Mark chapter 12, we read it. In Mark chapter 12, uh, Jesus said this. Some of the Pharisees and uh, some of the scribes and Pharisees, uh, uh, then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered saying, teacher, we wanna see a sign from you. But he answered and said to them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign and no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet of Jonah. For as Jonah was, in, uh, was three days and three nights in the belly of a great fish, so will be the son of man three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Hey, they, that, they heard that and they're kind of believing it. That's strange. Does that blow your mind a little bit? The providence of God. You see, we didn't need just Joseph's witness and testimony that he put him in that tomb and rolled a rock on it. We need some ironclad, hardcore witnesses. So of all the people God uses, he uses the Pharisees and the scribes. This like blows my mind. You kind of want to gather those guys up and go, oh, God so used you. Gets them together. They go to Pilate and here's what they say. Hey man, this deceiver, I, I love the way we refer to him. This deceiver said he was gonna raise in three days and then, and then check out what their big fear is. In verse 64, it says, therefore command that the tomb be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples come by night and steal him away and say to the people he has risen from the dead. So the last deception will be worse than the first. So, so here's what they're saying, man. 
Give us some guards. Let us go make sure this does not happen. Oh, that is so God, huh? Hey, we need ironclad proof that he could not raise from the dead. Let's guard that tomb and take care of it. And I love what Pilate does. Listen, Pilate said to them, you have your guard, go your way. Now, here's what some people say. Some people say when he says you have your guard, he's telling them you have your temple guards, go your way. I don't think that's what he's saying. I read ahead. And remember when Jesus is gone, they tell the guards, say you fell asleep and we will cover for you with Pilate. The temple guards weren't accountable to Pilate. They were accountable to the chief priests. So I don't think it was temple guards. I think people who do that. Here's what I think Pilate is saying. He's got, you know, a squad there probably, and he says, there's your guard. Go make it secure. Here's your guard. Go do it. So they march off with these soldiers. Again, soldiers, they, they couldn't be, you know, if they were derelict of their duty, they had to suffer the consequences of whatever they were doing. So a huge, huge thing. So go your way, make it secure. Verse 66, so they went and made the tomb secure, sealing the tomb and setting up the guard. Hey, not only was there a big rock rolled, now it's sealed up with wax to make sure no one can go in and out, in or out, and you got a squad guarding it. They're gonna take turns. They're not all gonna sleep at the same time. Isn't God cool? Hey, all of this is the providence of God. God supernaturally working naturally through people doing life. And I wanna challenge us today, that same God is working in our world. And we need to ask God to open up our eyes that we could see, that we would understand. Do you remember when, remember when Elisha was sitting on, he got up early one morning, remember he's in, that, he's in that compound in the city and he got up early one morning, went on a city wall, he's having an espresso. Remember he's kicked back, <laughs> sipping on his espresso and remember his, God, his, his, his helper comes to him and he goes, Elisha, why aren't you freaking out, man? What are you doing drinking espresso when these guys are surrounding us and you're acting so calm? Remember that? Some of you are going, that's not how my Bible reads. You need to get a better Bible. And he comes and he's freaking out. Do you remember what Elisha did? Like Elisha didn't even get up. He didn't even put his espresso down. Remember what he did? He says, hey, Lord, open up this guy's eyes so he can see. That's my prayer for us. Remember he opened his eyes and there's, there's angels all around them. Hey, saints, let's ask God to open up our eyes and let's glorify him for the simple natural things he does in our lives that are actually supernatural working. And let's begin to recognize that and understand that because I'll tell you what, man, that blows my mind. If you read this, just purely just read through, you would say, okay, it's just a story. That's all it is. But this is God working in Joseph's life and in, in the ladies' lives, working in, in, in Pilate's life, in the, in the, the, the Pharisees' lives, all to get his perfect will done perfectly. And that's our God. Gotta love him, huh? That's the kind of God I wanna serve. That's the kind of God I want involved in my life. I don't want some little God that you kind of hang on a chain or something and can't do anything, man. They're kind of useless. I want a God who's working.
Let's stand up and pray.